the crowds were gathering. The city was uproarious in anticipation to welcome the conqueror. The crowds were gathering to sing the hymns of praise to the king who was riding on an animal. In first century Roman Empire, it was called the Triumphus, when a military general would return from his conquests into the city, the crowds would gather, they would sing their songs. He rode into town on an animal. A crown of laurel on his head. The animal, a white stallion, the sign of power and victory. The captain's captives, a long caravan behind him, chained for their destined slavery. He made his way into the temple where he offered sacrifice. I'm describing the scene when Alexander the Great entered Jerusalem in about 300 BC. Wrong century, wrong millennium. This is Palm Sunday. We tell a different story. Let me try that again. The city was at a fever pitch. The shops were packed. The restaurant tables were full. Everybody hoping to find a seat to see the one, the ruling, the reigning, the new king. The, the, the business elite were hobnobbing. The political elite were exploiting. The rest of us were just hoping to catch a glimpse. And from just over the hill, the sounds of the procession finally gave way to the sight of it all. And there he was on a stallion, a white stallion with a crown of laurel on his head, the kind you'd see now in the statues we'd make of him. A long line of captors, now slaves, shown like circus animals to a taunting crowd. He made his way into the temple. He offered sacrifice to the god of gods, Jupiter. I'm describing the scene when Caesar Augustus entered Rome in about 27 B.C., wrong century, wrong millennium. This is Palm Sunday. We tell a different story. Let me try again. He went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he came to Bethphage and Bethany at a place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead saying, go into the city ahead of you and there you will find a colt tied that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. Those he sent departed and found it just as he said, as they were untying the colt. The owners of the colt said, why are you untying it? And they answered, the Lord needs it. They brought the colt to Jesus and laid their cloaks on the colt and set Jesus on the colt. As he was riding along, the crowds laid their cloaks on the road in front of him. When he came to the path down the Mount of Olives, a great crowd of the disciples began praising God joyfully in a loud voice for all the wonderful deeds he had done, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And the Pharisees in the crowd said to, the, to Jesus, Teacher, tell your disciples to stop it. And Jesus said, I tell you, 
If these were silent, even the rocks would shout out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's our story. That's Palm Sunday. Jesus on a colt, the foal of a donkey, as Zechariah would promise, look, your king is coming to you, victorious and triumphant as he, humble, and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah's promise, also a pronouncement, this king is different, this kingdom is other. It's Luke 19, verses 28 through 29 through 40. If you want to find it in a Bible, hit pause now, grab a Bible, find it, but then come back. There's just a couple of things I want to show you. First of all, Luke is making a profound political statement. And I know you came onto this online service hoping the pastor would wax eloquent about the divisive nature of American politics. Well, you got what you asked for. And I have a quiz for you. Which word in Luke's Palm Sunday story, is left out. First, the political statement. You ready? Sit down. Buckle your seatbelts. Brace yourself. The profound political statement Luke is making, Jesus Christ is Lord. Not to be fit into your political agenda, not to be used to further your political perspective, not just so you can vote your values or fit your faith into your perspective, rather to reorient your whole life, to annihilate your political agenda and usurp your life, offering it for his Whenever the Bible repeats itself, you've got to pay attention. That's the Bible's way of saying exclamation points. Pay attention. Look here. And Luke repeats one line. Well, he repeats it. Jesus says to the disciples, this is verse 31, If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. Jesus speaking to the disciples, refers to himself as the Lord. And then the two disciples, we're not sure which ones they are. They go into the village. They find it just as he said. They're untying the colt. The owners of the colt have to be curious. Say, why are you untying it? They say, the Lord needs it. Now the two disciples announcing the lordship of Jesus Christ, which is what Luke has been doing the whole time. In the very beginning sentences of his gospel, he he writes to most excellent Theophilus. In other words, this is a political statement. And then in chapter 2, the angel shows up to Mary to announce the virgin birth and says he will be great. He will be called son of the most high God. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob of his kingdom. There will be no end. This is a profound political statement. Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, the Lord needs it. He is unlike any other. He is one unto himself, sufficient and unique and everything extraordinary. A Napoleon Bonaparte even caught the gist. Napoleon, 19th, 18th century French revolutionary, he writes this about Jesus. I know men. And I tell you, Jesus Christ is no mere man. 
between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire on love. And at this hour, millions of men and women would die for him. Jesus Christ is Lord is the profound political statement. Now, we've been steeped in the two-party American political system. We're, we're sort of trained to vote our values or fit our faith into our political perspective. And Luke is saying, you're all wrong. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's offering an entirely new story, a whole new way, a different script. Not to be fit into ours, but so that our lives might be fit into his. And the context of the the political announcement is this triumphus, this this procession, like like they had seen so many times before, Alexander the Great 300 years earlier, Caesar Augustus 30 years earlier. They knew what was happening. The king comes into town riding on the beast, in their case, a white stallion. They wore their crowns. They had their slaves. They went into their temples to offer their sacrifices. So much of it looks so familiar, and it could not be more different. Jesus, not on a white stallion, the sign of power and victory, but on a colt, the foal of a donkey, the image of humility. He would wear a crown, not of laurels, but of thorns on his way to the cross. The the gold and silver that was spilling out of the caravans would not belong to Jesus, but rather his spilled blood would be for us. He would not offer sacrifice what would become the sacrifice for us and for our salvation. It's a whole new story. It's a whole new way. Reorienting the entirety of our lives around humility He wrote on the colt, the foal of a donkey, generosity, my body given for you, grace. On the cross, he cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Freedom. He didn't have slaves chained behind him in this procession, but rather lived and died and rose again to set us free from the past we can't change and the slavery that chains to sin that chains us down. It's a whole new way. So different. Jesus could say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's a whole new way. And your life belongs to it, not his life belonging to yours. On Tuesday of this week, there was about 70 guys that gathered in the gathering space at Pillar for a sort of makeshift men's retreat that couldn't happen because of COVID. Uh, even guys gathered with us from Zoom. It was on Zoom. It was pretty great. My friend, therapist, pastor, professor, author, Chuck DeGroat led us in conversation around three questions that emerge out of Genesis 3. Where are you? Who told you? What are you longing for? As he was thinking with us around who told you, he made a comment, something like, stood out to me, we gather on Sundays in worship. 
around the word, to feast at the table, to remember who we are and what story we're about because the other six days we're inundated by voices and stories that seek to tell us what's right and good and true and powerful and beautiful. And this Palm Sunday, I want to invite you back into the story. You've been inundated by voices. This last year especially, we've been overwhelmed by voices, seeking our affections, longing for our attention. And this Palm Sunday, come back home. Come home to the real, true story. Jesus Christ is Lord. So you can wake up every day and pursue the King in the kingdom Through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Give up of yourself and find so much more. That's the king. That's the kingdom. All right, I'll calm down. If you'll take my quiz. What word does Luke leave out of his Palm Sunday story? I suppose you have to know the other Palm Sunday stories to know which one Luke doesn't say. So I'll just answer it for you. Luke never uses the word Hosanna. How can, what kind of a Palm Sunday can happen without Hosanna? I mean, it's so cute. The kids, they walk forward with their palm branches and they sing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King of Kings. And some grandpa starts trying to clap in rhythm. The whole church feels terribly uncomfortable. What kind of Palm Sunday happens without Hosanna? Hosanna, the word means God save us. Luke doesn't use it. He does borrow the same psalm from which the Hosanna comes. I think it's Psalm 118, so maybe it's implied in his story, but it's never stated outright. Luke, so so emphasizing the reigning Christ He doesn't spend a ton of time announcing the saving Christ, at least on this Palm Sunday, at least in that way, though there's another line he uses that points us in that direction that none of the other gospel writers do. The Pharisees in the crowd get upset. They say, teacher, tell them to stop it. And Jesus says, I tell you, if these were silent, the rocks would shout out. The rocks, not just a statement about Christ as the creator of the universe who can make the rocks and then so command them to speak, but a different announcement. He's talking about a specific kind of rock. They were called yosites. Luke sets us up. It's verse 37. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives... On the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives was a cemetery. I've been there. I've seen it. Jesus, coming down the path on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives, through the cemetery, down into the Kidron Valley, up back the climbing slopes to Jerusalem itself. Jesus, on the path, in the cemetery, on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives, it was an important cemetery. There are some traditions that say when Christ, the Messiah, comes again, those who are in Jerusalem will rise first and those on the east will rise first. So people wanted to be buried in that cemetery on the Mount of Olives. One of the grieving rituals around death in ancient Israel 
was for friends and family members to gather in the cemetery and to place a rock on the sarcophagus or the tomb of the deceased. So to this day, right now, in Jerusalem, you'll, you'll, you can see that Mount of Olives Cemetery and rocks everywhere, not because it's unkept, but because people are grieving. And Jesus says, if these are silent, even the rocks will cry out in the cemetery, on the Mount of Olives, on that Palm Sunday, his way of announcing, your mourning will turn to dancing, your grief will turn to joy, your The pit in your stomach and the ache in your heart that you've had to live with will become a new song. A whole new song will be sung, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Even the rocks will cry out, Jesus says. Whatever pain you carry, whatever sadness you know, whatever breaks your heart, Colorado, And so many other versions of the same story. Whatever breaks your heart, Jesus says, even the rocks will cry out. There are these, uh, I think we have five services on a typical Sunday morning. Well, typical uh, weekend, worship weekend. It starts on Thursday where we, we record these online worship experiences and a few folks join us. Uh, as we record. And then on Sunday mornings, there's the 9 and the 11 at Pillar, and then the 10 at Warehouse 6 on 6th Street. If you haven't been there, I encourage you to check it out. And then at 7 o'clock on Sunday nights, we gather uh, with the college students. We call it the college service, and a stunning act of creativity. Last Sunday night, Joel Borsmo was preaching, and if I can just say, he was bringing the fire. I was sitting in the very back row. The college group of musicians was leading us in singing, so because I was in the back, I couldn't see who was singing, but I noticed the mic'd-up voice of the pianist singing a song I didn't know, and I was stunned by the quality of his voice. I looked to my right to see the other non-college-age person in the sanctuary, also sitting in the back row, was Gene Lindell, which made the connection for me. It was her son, Jake, who was singing this song so beautifully that I didn't know. Jonathan is even going to begin playing it for you now. Uh, Gene was married to Jay Lindell. Uh, Jay uh, was a prominent member of our community Uh, Worked for Young Life for 40 years. Uh, He was my Bible study leader when I was in like ninth grade. Last July, uh, died of an angry version of a brain tumor after a 19-month battle. Taken way too soon, taken way too quickly. And his death sent reverberations of sadness throughout the West Michigan community. And of course, had a devastating effect on his family. So Jake is leading us on Sunday night, leading his mom in the back row in worship to a song I didn't know, but I want you to hear. Jonathan and the ensemble are going to sing it for us now. You're the resurrection that we've waited for. You 
buried the night and came with the morning. You're the King of heaven, the praise is yours. The longer the quiet, the louder the chorus soars. us, the grief of his dad's death still real in his heart, leading his mom, Jean, singing of resurrection, the longer the silence the song goes, the louder the chorus, we will sing a new song. Sounds to me like if these are silent, even the rocks will cry out. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.